And uh, it is a blessing to go verse by verse, and that's how you learn the Word of God. So John chapter 1, starting in verse number 39. John chapter 1. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to, hey, come on now. Keep it down, Max. Come on. We haven't even started. Uh, John chapter 1. Uh, I think that's his way of saying amen. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, we're going to start in verse 39. We're going to read down to verse number 46. All right. Uh, verse 39 to 46. I will read verse 39. You guys read verse 40. I'll read verse 41. You guys read verse 42. You get it? You with me? All right. All the way down to verse 46. You ready? Verse number 39. He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. This is the Lord who said this to these disciples, asking where he was staying and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Who was kind of like, ah, I'm not going to say that word because I'm not sure how that's going to go. All right. Bethsaida. All right. That, that's at least one way to pronounce it. All right. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him. That's good. That's good. We have found him. Talking about Jesus Christ, of whom the Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Come and see. Come and see. Brother Alcorn, would you ask God's blessing on the, on the study? Thank you, Father, for an opportunity to hear your word. Anoint us to receive it by it. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wherever it is you want us to see. Bless our pastors and teachers and speakers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So uh, let me just say this much. This week I had. Uh, a uh, pretty significant issue with my tooth, and uh, you may go, what is this going? What does that do with the Bible study? I went to the dentist, and the dentist uh, said, well, I can't find a cavity, and I said, look again, <laughs> and uh, we did an x-ray, and there was, there was nothing there. He goes, maybe it's a, maybe it's a nerve, and uh, maybe you got an infection. Something is starting to infect your nerve, and so what I'm going to ask you to do is, I'm gonna, now listen, he, he went in there, and he started cleaning, I mean, just everything that they do, you know, you know, and then he's taking a floss, and I want you to floss this aggressively, and I'm going, ah, oh, you know, and it's, I mean, it's painful, it's really, really painful. Then I came home, my wife goes, well, what do they, what do they do? I said, they told me to floss aggressively and use this, like, antibacterial mouthwash thing, and she goes, that's all they did? I said, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. Like, I went to the dentist thinking, I've got something that's serious, you need to fix this, and he sends me home with this mouthwash and goes, good luck, and I'm... I'll, for, the, for the next two days, I'm in so much pain. I'm thinking, this guy's a quack. This guy's trying to get me in and out real fast. He's got a bunch of appointments, and I just didn't matter to him. I kept thinking that. And then this morning, now listen, let me tell you something. I did not want to. Ask my wife. Last night, I was in pain, and I went in the bathroom, and I flossed. I'm like, oh, oh. 
none of this feels good, and, and it's not probably giving you a great mental picture, but um, it was super, super painful. And then I woke up this morning, I'm like, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Now, now listen, the reason I'm telling this story is because sometimes um, you can go to the dentist, you can go to the doctor, and you can know exactly what it is you're supposed to do. But if you don't believe what they're telling you to do is right and you don't do it, it doesn't do you any good. And so as we go verse by verse here in John chapter 1, I want to remind you, uh, this chapter is full of practical instruction for your life, how to minister to other people, how to be an influence for Jesus Christ. But if you don't put it to work, it does you no good. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are many moments where you go, oh, come on, I've done this. Listen, it was three days of doing the same thing over and over and over and thinking to myself, this isn't going anywhere. And it took some time and it took some pain but now it feels a whole lot better. I could take my tongue and put it just up there by that tooth. And I know some of you are like, why? We don't care about your tooth problems. I know you don't care about my mouth, but I'm trying to illustrate something. I could take my tongue and run it over there and just feel so much pain. I mean, just touching it, and now it feels fine. Now, now what I'm getting at is this. I didn't want to do it. I thought what he was telling me was probably the wrong prognosis, the wrong treatment, but I didn't have any better ideas. And so I thought, well, what's the worst that could happen? If it gets worse, I'm back in his chair going, sucker, you messed me up, right? And, and so I, what I'm getting at is with the Lord, he's going to give you instruction. And there are going to be times where you go, I don't think it's that. I think it's this. I don't, uh, you know, Lord, are you sure about that? Uh, Lord, I mean, after all, there's got to be some other big thing that I need to do. No, you just need to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And are you listening to me this morning? So look at John chapter 1. Look at verse number 39. And I want you to see some very, very simple thought here. And this is the, uh, the disciples of John that are asking Jesus where he dwells. All right? They ask him that question in verse number 38. Where, where dwellest thou? Now, he could have told them. He could have told them, could he not? Uh, um, could he not have said, well, I, I'm saying over here. This is where I'm at. You know, if you go down, uh, you know, if you're... <laughs> If you live in the country, it's like this. You go past the blinking red light, and you see the barn on the right-hand side. Then you turn left, and you go a quarter mile down the road. right? Like that. He could have done that. He didn't do that. You know what he said? Come and see. Let me ask you a question. Why do you do that? There, there are some things that you just don't understand as well until you experience them. And when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ, you, 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 could, you could hear all the sermons, and you should, and you could read all the books, and I'm not against that, and you could read it from the Word of God, but there's something about you personally experiencing getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ that will change your life like nothing else. And I don't just mean in salvation. Listen, if you're lost and you need to be saved, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, all right? That's step number one. And listen, in God's eyes, there's no black, white, Hispanic, old, young. It's you're lost or you're saved, and that's it. But once you're saved, listen, Paul says that I may know him, all right? And Paul wants to know him a little bit deeper than just as my Savior. How about as my friend? How about as my counselor? How about as the one that I lean on when I'm in trouble? How, how about as my go-to when I'm discouraged? How about uh, whenever I'm depressed, he's the one that I, I talk to first? That's what God wants to be in your life. And you'll never experience that without coming and seeing for yourself. Here, here's what I honestly believe. I, I believe most Christians uh, kind of live the Christian life as a spectator sport. 
And so the judgments that they cast and, and the way that they look at the Christian life is primarily based on what they see in the preacher and what they see at church rather than experiencing God in their individual lives. Listen, I don't care if you're a teenager in high school, God wants to be a part of your life. Or if you're uh, more experienced, as Miss Virginia and I have talked about before, all right, and the white hairs are, are coming in or the hairs are just disappearing, amen? Regardless of what's going on, where you're at in life, you should want to experience the Lord. And you don't do that by just hearing about it. You've got to come and see. And so the Lord tells them, come and see. And look what it says here. Then they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. Now, can I, can I point out to you, look at verse 46. Uh, these disciples heard the Lord say this, and they picked up on it, and then they started to use it themselves. Uh, you know what you ought to learn to say? Listen, whatever I'm experiencing with God, I want someone else to experience as well. And you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know how to do it. Listen, I think you should know as you grow in the Lord. We have discipleship classes, a little bit of a shameless plug for that right now. If you're saved and you want to get ground in the Word of God, you should be a part of one of those classes, all right? I, I believe that. But, but, but with having said that, if you, if you are a newborn believer or you just never were trained in the Word of God and you go, oh, I just don't know as much Bible as that person. I can't preach like that person. I just won't do it. Listen, that's not, you ought to do what you can. And what you can do is tell other people, come and see. When they ask you a Bible question, you go, you know what? That's a great question. I'll find the answer for you. And then you get down and you pray. And then you go, Pastor, I need help right now, you know, or, or whatever else it might be, you know. And, and then you get back to me. You know what? If you really want some more of those questions answered, why don't you come with me to church? You, anybody can do that is what I'm getting at. You don't have to be a scholar. You can just say, you know what? I've experienced something good from God. I want others to experience it. Why don't you come and see? Look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, now you know what Philip could have said? He could, have, he could have said no. He could have said yes. He could have said that's a dumb question. He could have said a lot of things. But you know what he said? Why don't you come and find out? You know why? Because there's nothing like, the, why do you suppose that when you go to Sam's Club or Costco, and look, I know how to split the church right in half. Who's for Sam's Club? Who's for Costco, right? I mean, that split it right down the middle, you know? And, and I'm Switzerland. I'll go anywhere there's free samples, Amen. Uh, but, but you go to Costco or Sam's Club, you know what they do? They give you these samples. That's not just because they have an overage of food. They know there's a better chance of you buying that product because you, t- you know, here's what they do, especially if you've got kids. They go to the kids because now you're stuck. And the kids go, Mommy and Daddy, can we get that? You know, and, and so there they are. They've tried it out. Now you're that much closer to buying the product. Listen, in your own life with the Lord, He wants you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And and so listen, Nathaniel's uh, 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 testing Philip, and Philip, who we're going to learn a lot about in a little bit, uh, he's just saying, look, I don't know, man, but you can come check it out for yourself. Uh, And and I want to point out to you, look back at at verse 39. The Bible says here, this is an important word. I would underline this, maybe circle it or highlight it, but it says, they came and saw where he dwelt. Now, question, is that where the statement ends? They came and saw where he dwelt, period. No, there's a common, it proceeds to say, and they abode with him that day. That, that word abode, that, that, it, it comes from the, 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 uh, the, the action to abide uh, with something or in something or with someone. It doesn't mean that you're just passing through. 
And, and I would say like this, if I could give you a challenge, don't be the average Christian today. The average Christian today passes by with Jesus on Sunday morning, you know, three, uh, tic-tac-toe, three in a row, you know, said my prayer, went to church, the preacher preached for an hour, I, I shook some hands, I said amen, and I left, and then that's it. Right. L- listen, he, that's not the Christian life. And the, the Christian life is abiding with him. Now, look, you can be saved and, and do the three-in-a-row thing and move on, but to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ, it, it, it kind of implies that you are abiding with him. The idea is fellowship. When you sit down and, and you abide, listen, if someone wants to stay at my house and, you know, hey, pr- uh, preacher, can passing through, do you mind if we stay at the night? No, no problem. But if they were there for a month later and six months later, I go, why are you abiding here still, right? Uh, to abide doesn't mean you're passing through. To abide doesn't mean visiting. Abiding means you get to know that person and you are spending some serious time with them. So they abode with him. You go, well, it was just one day. Yeah, but boy, they, they got a lot of stuff. They got a lot of stuff. You say, how is that? Well, look at John chapter 15. Let me show you how this word is used. John chapter 15. We'll come across it again later on in the book of John. John chapter 15. Look, if you would, at verse number 4. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Abide in me and I in you. Now, now I, I want to be clear. There are some things you're going to find in the Gospels that, that dispensationally are going to have a hard time reconciling. But I can, without doubt and with all confidence, I can say this much about this passage. When you get saved, God does not just want you being saved. He wants you bearing fruit in your life. And the only way to do that is for you to slow down and take time away and abide with him. Now, there are seasons of life. I don't mean to pick on the, the, the newborn parents around here. There are seasons of life where you get less rest. And you might go, you remember how that was just about a year ago, Ashley and Jose, you getting getting more sleep now, you kind of (laughs) look, Jose's like, no, no, still no sleep, all right? Uh, But but listen, in the next 10 years, you'll get a little bit more sleep, all right? And then when they turn 15, you lose it again, all right? Uh, But uh, what what I'm getting at is that, that, listen, uh, even in that season of life, I'll never forget, I read a book somewhere about this and talks, it was a book written really more to moms. And it was talking about the fact that, you know what, maybe you're so tired you can't even get up and read your Bible at 5 because you just got up at 2 a.m. and you get up at midnight and you get up. And you know what that lady said? Talk to the Lord when you're changing a diaper. Now, you may think that's silly. Wait until you have a kid. You won't laugh at that. (laughs) You go, man, I got to find time with the Lord somehow. Do you realize what you're constantly doing if you're not careful? You're constantly walking around with a device in your hand looking at something, thinking about things that are happening in the lives of other people, and you don't have any quiet time. And you don't have time just to think on God. Have you ever just woken up and just watched the sunrise and just talked to the Lord through that? Some of you are like, sunrise, that's like really early. I know. That's, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. And, and what, what I'm getting at is this. Uh, you want to bear fruit in your life? You need to learn to slow down and abide in Him. Now, from a salvation standpoint, the moment you get saved, you're abiding in Him in the sense that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. You're in the body of Christ the moment you get saved. All right? However, from a practical daily standpoint, you choose whether you are abiding in Him or abiding in your own flesh. And that's a moment-by-moment decision. I wouldn't even say day-by-day. It's moment-by-moment. Uh, look at the uh, same chapter. Look at verse number 7. 
If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Now there's an implication that if you're abiding, go back to chapter 14 right next door to the left. The implication is this, is that if you are abiding in him, that the natural uh, uh, side effect, if you will, of abiding in him is his words are there around you as well. In other words, if you want to get to know God, it's through his words. Did you notice that? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, do you see that connection? All right, uh, look at John 14, verse 16. John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, all right, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may what? Not pass through, not come on. Now listen, in the Old Testament, one of the stark contrasts from Old Testament to New Testament, anyone that says they're exactly the same is not being intellectually honest. They're not. All right. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on people, and then He would leave people. And aren't you thankful that when you get saved, He doesn't leave you? <laughs> Man, because if, you, if it was possible, if we were under the Old Testament, I would tell you He would have left and come back a whole lot of times. I'm thankful we're not under that. He abides with us forever. But the idea is this. The word abide has like more of a permanent kind of connotation to it. It's not just passing through. It's not just checking it out. It's getting to know the person and spending time with them. All right. Now, I said this on Wednesday night, and I mean it sincerely. Uh, Go to John chapter 20 as you turn there. Uh, Those of you that, uh, that are married, you ought to date your spouse. You know that? You should, because you did before you were married, right? That's how you got to know them. And now you're like, what do I need to date them? We're married now, right? That's not the right way to look at that. Uh, you, know, you know why you need to do that? Because you, you are co- life is constantly changing around you, and you need to know where that person is at. And you need to constantly endeavor to form that, build and maintain that relationship with them. The idea is we're not just roommates. We are abiding together, all right? And so the same thing goes in regards to your relationship with the Lord, all right? Uh, look at John chapter 20, and, and I'll just say this much. Uh, John chapter 20, verse number uh, 30. John 20, verse 30. The more time you spend with the Lord hearing His word, the more confidence you're going to have in who He is, Amen. all right? So if you want to have more confidence in who the Lord is in your life, all right, spend more time in His word. All right, uh, I get a report every week, and it's kind of depressing when it tells you how many hours you spend on your phone. Anybody get those? All right, uh, I, I'd like to get to the judgment seat of Christ and, and at least know that somewhere there was some kind of balance between the time I spent on a phone and the time I spent in this book. Uh, look at John 20, verse number 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written... That you might now notice this, the reason that God, the, the gospel of John is written is to give you confidence in who Jesus is. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. All right, so uh, unless that was, the, is the Lord calling anybody home? I hope everybody's okay. I uh, heard the ring, uh, all right. Uh, but uh, what I'm getting at is this, if you want to have more confidence in the Lord, you want to have more confidence in who he is in your life, you can't divorce that thought from spending time in the place where you're meant to gain it. If you feel like you don't have confidence in your Christian life, can I ask you something? Where are you trying to seek it? If you're seeking it from people, it's going to be up and down all the time. You, you've got to seek your confidence in the Lord from Him, from the right source. 
And the way he's going to dispense that into your life is by you getting into this. All right, go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So come and see and maybe abide with him for a little bit. Don't be in such a rush. You know, sometimes on Sunday after the morning message, we'll have people come to the altar and you'll hear me say something like this. Don't be in a rush to get up. And, if, you're, if you're doing business with God, take your time. I mean, my kids, I've got one kid who uh, loves to be the first one done after a meal. Like, get in, throw the food in, and I'm done. And it's almost like, a, like somehow this got formed in, in her mind that it's going to be, yes, I'm giving it away. It's not the boys this time, all right? Uh, th- th- in her mind, it's a contest to beat her brothers at something. And so she can eat quicker, so therefore it's like, and then she's done. And we've told her, you're like, where do you, you're not even chewing the food. It's just getting shoveled in and getting swallowed. How is that even getting digested in there? And, and what we told her is like, slow it down. You know what you need to do in the Christian life? Slow it down. Don't be in such a rush at church. Don't be in such a rush when you're in your Bible. Don't be in such a rush when you're in your prayer time. We all have time limits. We all have things we have to do. But man, Think about how much time you got to spend in this world. When you come to church, shove that stuff out for a little bit and say, I'm going to slow it down. If I come to the altar, I'm not leaving until I'm done. Amen. And Lord, I I don't want to just rush through everything just to be able to say, I got it done. By the way, can I tell you this? There's no certificate in heaven for the first one done. Okay? There's no crown for that. Uh, It goes back to quality over quantity. And so I want to encourage you in that matter. Look at John chapter 1, verse number 40. Now, uh, you're going to insert here uh, uh, Simon Peter's brother's name is Andrew. And look at verse number 40. One of the two which heard John speak and follow him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith to him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. Now, let me remind you who these people are. All right. Andrew is one of John the Baptist's disciples, because that's where this all started. This all started with them being disciples of John the Baptist, and now they see Jesus Christ, and they see him come on the scene, and now they're going, okay, if, if this is the one we should follow, then I want to get to know him. So Andrew is one of the two which went to Jesus' uh, dwelling place and heard him speak, and after spending time with the Lord, you know what he thought? Man, I got to find someone else that needs to meet this guy. And what he did is he went and he sought his brother. Now, the name Andrew means a strong man, but can I, can I be honest with you? When I think of Andrew, you know what I think of? I think of someone that's in the background. Who's more famous, Peter or Andrew? Obviously, Peter's more. People know Peter a whole lot uh, more intimately from the scriptures. There's more said about Peter because Peter's a loud mouth. That's why there's more about him, because he was always jumping out and saying things and doing things, all right? But, but I will say this right now. I want you to get a hold of this. Not everybody needs to be Peter. You don't want a church full of Peters. They would kill each other. I've been in some churches where it's, everyone's a Peter, and there's all, all five of them, and they all kill each other all the time. You, you don't want to be in a church like that. Uh, you, the disciples were, were a mix of personalities and, and backgrounds and peoples. And, and so you got Andrew, who's kind of in the background, and you got Peter, the, the, the other brother. Now, I point that out for a reason, all right? And that is this. Uh, God made you the way he made you for a reason. Don't try to be somebody else. I'll never forget when I went to Bible school, uh, our teacher would say, don't be me. 
Uh, and what he would do at these things called the blowout is he would point out other people that would get up and preach. He goes, now, you see that guy, Rick DeMichael? That guy's a gentleman. Some of you guys need to learn to be more like that guy. You know why? He would say, you don't need to be like me. You know why? Because we're not all supposed to be the same exact person. I'm not exactly like my pastor. I'm sure my pastor wasn't exactly like his pastor. It's okay. Listen, there's nothing wrong with taking on good qualities, but don't try to change who you are. God made you unique. And God did not say to Andrew, I want you to be more loud. If anything, he probably looked at Andrew once and said, can you tell your brother to shut up? <laughs> right? Uh, but, but Andrew reached out. The first thing he did, though, the thing about this, was he went and he found his brother. You know, I, I watch this. When people get saved and they get right with God, you know what they oftentimes do? They go and try to find their family. They try to get them saved. They try to witness to them and try to be a help to them. And that's a good thing. Uh, Andrew, right away, says, I want to reach my brother. So look what happens in uh, verse number 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, I'm going to explain that verse because there's a lot of people that, uh, I'll just come out and say it like this. The Catholic Church makes a big deal about uh, Peter being the rock uh, of the church. I want to make very clear, Peter's not the rock, Jesus Christ is. And that's why Peter is called a stone, all right? Not necessarily the rock. And, and we'll go into that a little bit further. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that when the Lord meets Peter, he tells him, this is who you are, this is who you're going to be. Now, Peter doesn't get that shot unless his brother takes time to go, hey, man, you need to come meet this guy. And that's what I'm trying to point out to you about Andrew. He, he's a strong man, but his strength is quiet. And it's okay to be quietly strong. Matter of fact, if you're always walking around, you're trying to throw your weight around like Peter did for years, and it took Peter getting really humbled and falling all the way down before getting back up to learn some things and to temper him out a little bit. I guarantee you there was probably a moment when Peter denied the Lord and, and the cock crew and all that kind of stuff. I guarantee you at some point in his mind's eye probably thought, man, I wish I was more like my brother. That's not recorded in scripture, but he's human. And I guarantee you thought, man, he, was, he didn't do this. He didn't mess up like I did. And maybe he thought, maybe I should have just shut up instead of trying to throw my weight around all the time and be a little bit more quietly strong. It's okay. It's a good thing to be quietly strong. If you constantly have to walk around and remind everybody who you are and how strong you are, chances are you lack confidence. And that's what happened with Peter. Peter lacked confidence. It, it took him going through some things to gain the right kind of confidence. Now, Andrew is quietly strong. He's a disciple of John the Baptist. Let me say this much, all right? If you never had any discipline in your entire life, no structure, go to sleep whenever you want, get up whenever you want, uh, late to work, I mean, fill in the blank, uh, you know, no exercise, no, just no discipline, no structure in your life, and then you get saved, and then they say, you should come to Sunday school. Well, that's at 10 o'clock on Sundays. Are you with me? I mean, I just, I usually sleep in, and that's going to be hard, and I just don't. If that's you're going to have some struggles, all right? In other words, salvation doesn't fix all your character. Meeting Jesus gives you the chance to change everything, but it doesn't come without some work. Salvation, it costs you nothing, and there's no work involved for you at all. But discipleship's different. And what I want to point out is this. Andrew had some character built into him even before he met the Lord. He was a, listen to me, disciple of John. You know what that meant? He already knew how to follow. Did you think about this? Peter struggled with that. It never says Peter was one of John the Baptist's disciples. It says Andrew was. 
So here's these two fishermen, these brothers, and Andrew's following John the Baptist, and Peter's fishing. And so then Peter gets introduced to the Lord, and he wants to follow him, and he does, thank God. But, but it's a rougher go for Peter than it was Andrew. Have you ever thought about maybe why that is? You think maybe part of it was Andrew had some discipline in his life? Here's what I'm getting at. Discipline is not like, if I were to preach a message on discipline, it wouldn't get a lot of shouts. I'll put it like this. It's not one of the sexier titles to put on YouTube. You need more discipline in your life. That's not going to get a lot of likes and follows, right? However, it's something you need in your life. Tell yourself no. When the alarm goes off, get up. Pastor, what's the great secret to knowing the Lord? Get up. <laughs> See, but that doesn't sound cool. You're like, I just want the light to come, the, the clouds to open up and the light to shine down. And I want God to show me. God did show you something. He gave you a snooze button to, to ignore on your iPhone. He said, here's, here's the sign. It's your alarm clock. But that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, that's not really, it's kind of like, well, Lord, isn't there anything else? It's a good place to start, I'll tell you that much. All right? Discipline's a good thing. Andrew had it. Andrew had it. Now, let, me, let me tell you something. I, I'm not going to preach a message about health and wellness, but I will say this much. If you don't have any structure about when you go to sleep or when you get up, you're going to have a hard time as a Christian. You are. You will. Because your schedule will be all over the place. Now look, if you, you say, I work a graveyard. Okay, you still get out to sleep at a certain time. You still get up at a certain time. Is that not right? Can you still build some structure into your life so you make time for God? See, see the, the idea is this. The idea today is almost like, well, I just couldn't and you don't know and it was hard. Listen, you don't grow without resistance. You don't grow without pressure. You need that in your life. And, and, and Andrew had some of that even before he met the Lord. It was helpful to him. Listen, when you make a commitment, can I say this? Follow through on that commitment. Regardless of whether it's in ministry or you tell your kids you're going to spend time with them, spend the time with them. If you tell your spouse you're going to take her on a date, take her on a date. You sign up for a ministry at church, show up. You know, don't let people have to, you know, look for you with the, the FBI to go, hey, are you going to, hey, it's nursery time. Can you help me? We don't, we, that's not how a church functions. It's just not how your home should function. What I'm getting at is this, and I know it's not really something that gets us on shouting ground, but if you want to get to know the Lord and grow in him, it's going to take some discipline. Uh, you're going to have to learn to forsake some things. Uh, let me show you some things about Andrew. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Now, uh, I don't have time to go into all of this this morning, but I will say there's some confusion around the calling of the disciples because um, oftentimes people neglect to remember that, that the Gospels don't compete with each other, nor do they contradict each other, but they complement each other. And, and so it may look like there's two different, uh, uh, almost like these, these contradicting stories between Matthew 4 and John chapter 1, but you have to understand is this, John chapter 1 is where they first, where Andrew and Peter were first introduced to the Lord. Did you notice that in John chapter 1, it does not say that they forsook everything and they followed him? They didn't, didn't say that. It's where they met him. Matthew 4 is a different account. Look at Matthew 4 and uh, look, if you would, at verse number 18. I've studied this thing out and prayed over this. And I've talked to some guys that are about three times my age. And God, I just want to make sure I'm right about this because I don't want to be off in this area. But look at verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, if you never read John chapter 1, wouldn't you think this is the only time they talked to the Lord? 
But when you read John chapter 1, you re- what you realize is Andrew was already a disciple of John the Baptist. He meets the Lord, introduces his brother to the Lord. They have a conversation there, but it doesn't say they forsook everything. N- now, now look here, if you would, at verse uh, number uh, 19. He said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. All right, so this is where they leave everything. They leave the family business and they follow the Lord. Can I show you something? Salvation is free, costs you nothing. You don't have to forsake anything outside of your own righteousness. But discipleship means you leave something. If you want to be a disciple for Jesus Christ, you've got to leave something. So what is, it, what is the thing in your life that you... Now, just ask yourself. Don't blurt it out. Please don't blurt it out. This is not, this is not a school, a classroom. Ah, no, no this is between you and God, all right? Uh, rhetorically speaking, what is between you and the Lord that you know if you could just get that out of the way, you'd be closer to God? Whatever that thing is, that's what he wants you to forsake. Now, you know what it was for these guys? It was their business. Because he knew as long as they had their business in their life, they were never going to follow him as closely as they could. Now, question, does that mean work is bad? Absolutely not. Work is a good thing. But in this moment, in this instance, it was like, look, you got to leave that in order to follow me. You'll never know me like you could. Do you think those guys regretted the three and a half years they spent with the Lord? But they had, it started with forsaking something. Forsaking something, all right? Uh, uh, now, for sake of time, I'm not going to go through all the references, but look at John chapter 6, just going through some things about the life of Andrew. John chapter 6. I think um, modern Christianity has watered down discipleship so much. And I think the reason for that is, I'm I'm trying not to sound like I'm being critical of of other people, but I want you to understand, um, you start talking to other people that that, that name the name of Christ, what you find out is a lot of them don't even really know how to explain salvation. How does someone get saved? And to them, oftentimes, it's kind of a mystery. It's kind of like a feeling, kind of like I think I am, I'm trying to be... And look, salvation is a moment in time where you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You knew you were a sinner. There was a debt that had to be paid. And that sin debt is paid in a place called the Lake of Fire forever and ever and ever. And God loved you enough to send His Son to step in your place to take on your sins and to give you His righteousness. And you said, yep, I want that. I'm going to ask Him to be my Savior. That's a moment in time where you are born again. However, discipleship is daily. It's every single day, you taking up your cross and following him. And what happens in, in a lot of churches today is they're blurring the message. So someone is sitting out there going, I haven't left enough yet. I must not be saved. I need to get saved again. Listen, you got saved one time. The problem you got after you're saved is your flesh is still there. And your flesh is pushing on everything. Your flesh this morning said, maybe, what's the big deal if I miss one service? what's the big deal? Well, I don't have to go to Sunday school. I can go to the main service and be all right. It's not that big of a deal. Your flesh will always push and push and push. And once it gets its way, it wants even more. It's never going to get satisfied. And so that's what you're facing every single day. Or you might say to yourself, why does it matter that I lead music or that I play the piano or I I do whatever? It's not, uh, who cares? God cares. That's why it matters. And your flesh is going to get that, run that thing through your mind all the time. And you're going to say, you know what? I'm not listening to that. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. That's discipline. That's being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, look at John chapter 6. Again, people don't think much about Andrew, but Andrew's a significant character as well. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 8. Verse number 8, you say, what's going on? They have no food. They're in the middle of nowhere. 
And uh, we all know the story about the young man that uh, gave his lunch to the Lord. Uh, look at uh, verse number 8. One of his disciples, well, go, go back a little bit, verse 7. There's Philip here as well. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. In other words, the Lord kind of tests Philip and goes, what are we going to do about this? And he goes, we don't have enough money. And by the way, we're in the middle of nowhere. We'd have to stop what we're doing, go back into town, buy the bread, and come back. And so notice this in verse number 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, say to him, there's a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Now, now you may go, well, he didn't know what God... He kind of doubted. You, you could make that, that case, I guess. He's just going, this is all we got. But can I point out that this lad did not come to the Lord on his own? Someone had to notice him. We need Andrews in our churches, just some people that notice other people. You don't have to be the Peter all the time. Just kind of notice what's going on and go, I can minister to that person. Hey, they've been quiet. They've been all by themselves in a corner. Let me go talk to them. Hey, they look like they're a little bit down. They're not their normal selves. Uh, hey, she's operating on an hour of sleep a night. Let me go see if I can minister to her, right? Uh, you understand what I'm getting at? We need some Andrews around. You know what Andrew did? He was observant. He was sober. He was vigilant. He goes, hey, there's this kid over here. Andrew was the bridge. Now, you may not think that's a big deal, but if you're starving and you're in the middle of the desert, you ought to be thankful that someone finds food. Now, the Lord did the miracle. I don't want to take away from that. But, but what the Lord did is he used people, and he used the fact that Andrew noticed this young man who had this limited amount of food, but it was food nonetheless, and he used that to feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. What I'm getting at is this, is that Andrew, even though he's not Peter, he's still used of the Lord. Look at Acts chapter number 1. You don't have to be Peter. Uh, look at Acts chapter number 1. I like going out, and I like doing public ministry, but can I say this? I know some people, that's not, their, that's not the highlight of their year. You know what I say to that? Okay, that's all right. Can you reach someone in a different way? Yeah. What I'm getting is that everyone's different. And, and you know, I can't make a cookie-cutter thing and make everyone exactly the same. There are some people that go out and do public evangelism, and it's completely unnatural and very uncomfortable for them. And it's not something that they're like, yeah. And there's others that are like, yeah, let's do this, right? And, and you know what? I'm thankful for all of it. It doesn't matter who you are. Again, you don't have to be Peter. You can be Andrew. And you know what? God will still use you. Look at Acts chapter number 1. And look, if you would, at verse number 13. You say, who is this? This is just a list of the disciples after the resurrection and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and who's the next one? Hey, look, you don't, you don't have to be someone else. You know what you have to be? You have to be present. Amen. You have to show up. And you have to be willing to follow. And Jesus Christ used people that showed up and were willing to follow. And, and, and I want you to notice something else. His first priority after meeting the Lord is getting his brother. I want to show you this principle. Look at Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter 5. I think this is one of the things that makes Andrew so uh, special is he had an intuitive understanding of this very early on. Now, what I don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us, is, is whether he ever tried to reach Peter about John the Baptist. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Uh, maybe he went to his brother and his brother's like, man, I'm busy fishing. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. What I can tell you is for sure it's recorded in Scripture 
But after meeting the Lord, he goes, I'm going to go get my brother. Now, in Mark 5, there's a story about a maniac. And the maniac is, uh, describes, I believe, uh, and, and the Bible says he's filled with devils. Uh, I believe there's, there's people who suffer from this today. But modern-day psychology doesn't believe in the spiritual world, so what they'll say is, this person is blank. Whatever that, that thing is, they call it a condition. And they may say, you know, this p- person has, uh, suffers from this mental condition. And you go, well, which one? I don't even jump into that world because well, here's what I know. I-, I know this much. They got all kinds of labels and all kinds of names. What they don't deal with is the real root issue. So let's say that I do give you some medication to deal with this problem, to help you to cope with life, which I'm glad you're able to cope with life now. I mean, I sincerely, but have you dealt with why that's there? I know some of you don't like this because you think psychology's got all the answers, but let me ask you right now, will psychology ever address the spiritual issues in your life? The answer is no. They will deal with what they understand. And what they know is you've got a problem. And here's how you're behaving. And here's the label we have for that behavior. And the best I can do is prescribe you this to kind of keep you at bay. But have you ever dealt with why that issue is there to begin with? Now, if you look at the maniac of Gadara, do you know what you see here? You see a man that cuts himself with stones. That's what the Bible says. He dwells among the tombs. He's around dead stuff. And he cries all day and all night. And he's got supernatural strength. When they try to tame him, they can't. You say, what is that? It's called being devil-possessed. And a lot of things today, now look, if you ever went through depression, don't walk in and go, Pastor, I'm de- I-, I had a devil because I was, that is not what I- I'm saying at all. Everyone has highs, everyone's got lows. But I'm talking about the big label stuff that psychology tries to address. And listen, I'm not trying to throw stones at them. I think they're doing the best they got with what they have. But if you've got the book, you've got some insight into this stuff that the world doesn't have. Now, now this man was, was filled with the devil, and they could not tame him, and they tried everything that they could, and none of it worked, until that man met Jesus Christ. And then the devils left. Now, now, now let me just show you what happens in verse, uh, look at my, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and uh, what did I say, verse uh, 19, verse 19. Uh, go back to, let's see here, da, 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 verse 18. When he, Jesus, was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. In other words, I want to follow you. Now, this is kind of a weird thing because normally you go, well, of course, he should follow the Lord. But do you see what the Lord tells him in verse 19? He said, look, I, I, I would love for you to come with me, but there's some people who you've hurt. There are some people whose relationships have been strained. You need to go home and tell them what great things I've done for you. Amen. You know what the principle is? Your first priority when you get saved and you get right with God is to go deal with your family and go, hey, I've messed up, but I found Jesus. Amen. And God can do a lot with that. As a matter of fact, I've watched some of that happen in this church. I, I don't mean to, to embarrass anybody, but uh, it was a huge answer to prayer to hear from Brother Jose Espinoza his mom prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save her. Now, now look, this is a woman, a very good religious woman. I don't think I speak out of turn in saying that. A very moral and upstanding individual who knows a lot about the Lord. But you understand, everyone's got to make that decision on their own to go, you know what, I'm not trusting the church. I'm not trusting my self-righteousness. I'm going to trust only what Jesus Christ did for me. But do you know none of that would have happened for her had she not seen something different in him? Had he not opened his mouth? I'm not trying to embarrass him or anything. I'm just trying to say, 
your first priority when you get right with God is to go deal with your home. Deal with your family. Deal with your circle of people that you know. You know what Andrew did? He did exactly that. Uh, let's go back to John chapter 1. We're going to close with this thought. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 42. So this is Andrew bringing his brother Simon Peter to the Lord. And it says this in verse 42. And I, would, I, just, I just like the beginning of this verse. If you could do nothing else for anybody else in this world, and let me just say that in regards to uh, philanthropy and charity, you know, th- th- there's a big, you know, the guy that uh, started Patagonia, instead of selling the company and making mi- billions or millions or whatever, he gave the company away. Everybody goes, oh, so good, yeah, you know, because it's famous, right? Uh, and, and the world will applaud those things. They're not necessarily going to applaud you for what I'm about to say, but it's literally the greatest thing you could do. You know the greatest thing you could do for somebody is to do what Andrew did for Peter. Can I ask you this right now? Is there anyone on your radar that you're trying to bring to Jesus? There should be. There should be. And I'd like to close with that thought because Andrew, while most don't know much about him, if it was, listen to me very carefully, if Andrew doesn't reach out to his brother, go to Acts chapter 2 real quick, Acts 2. If Andrew never reached out to his brother, do you know what you'd never read about in the Bible? What I'm about to show you. And here's the thing. The, the problem with this is you just never know where the next Peter might be. Acts chapter 2. You see what happens. Peter gets up and uh, he preaches. And as he preaches this message of repentance to Israel in verse 38, um, the results are pretty astounding. Look, if you would, at verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about how many people? I guarantee you, Andrew's sitting back there going, man, I sure am glad I talked to that guy. And Andrew's not thinking, man, I wish I could be the one preaching right now. I bet you Andrew's smiling going, way to go, Pete. You finally figured it out. (laughs) Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for being able to get in the gospel of John. And Lord, just some practical things here, Lord, about... Uh, what it is you call us to be as disciples, Lord, our calling, our mission, Lord, to get people to come and see, Lord, to bring them to you. Would you help us to do that this week, Lord? Would you help us if, if, we, don't, if we couldn't think of someone, Lord, one person on the radar, in our mind's eye, Lord, that, that we're trying to reach right now, Lord, would you burden every born-again believer that's here this morning to find one person they can pray for, find one person they can reach out to, and do their best to bring them to Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We'll take about